0: Today, we're just going to plunge into the questions. Normally, if you recall, in the past weeks, I would start with some kind of introduction before we go into the questions. But today, I'm just going to whack the questions. Okay? There are four questions we're trying to answer. What is realization? What do we mean when we say that someone has seen the Dhamma? In our tradition, we use the phrase entering the stream to refer to someone who has seen the Dhamma. Okay? Just remember, when we say enter the stream, we mean the person has really understood Dhamma for the first time. It becomes clear to the person what Dhamma is all about. Will you know for yourself? I.e., if you've entered the stream, you've understood the Dhamma, do you know? Okay? And if we say yes, you know, how do you know? How do you know you are through? And finally, what is the Sangha? Okay? It's going to be a long time before the first break, because I think we have to do 20 slides before you get to lift the butt from the floor. <laughs> Stand up. Okay. What is realization? There is a short answer and a long answer. okay. The short answer. This came from the Buddha. Buddha said, monks, both formerly and now, what I teach is dukkha and the cessation of dukkha. Came from Alakadupama Sutta, Majjhima 22. In other words, by this stanza, what it means is if you understand what is dukkha and how dukkha comes to an end, that it ceases that you don't feel Dukkha anymore. So you understand what's Dukkha? And you don't feel it anymore? That's realization. Okay? So the short answer, you thoroughly understand what is Dukkha and how do you get to a state of mind It's not just knowing Dukkha, but knowing how the mind arrived at that state where it no longer experiences Dukkha. And you know it. Remember this, it is not enough, not enough to be just experiencing good. It's knowledge, conduct and experience. Afterwards, I'll show you. It's knowledge conduct and experience. So you say I'm only experiencing no moduka. The, the, the other two parts? Eh? How you got there? And how it changes you, do you have it? If you don't have it, that's not. It's probably jhana. <laughs> not not necessarily realization. Okay, there are three parts to it. Now remember the Buddhist words, huh? dukkha and the cessation. If you understand dukkha and how it comes to an end, it must also mean that you, number one, com- have completely abandoned craving, which is the second noble truth, thus making it possible for you to experience Nibbana, which is the third noble truth. And to be able to achieve this, in other words, get to a state where you can let go of craving and experience Nibbana, in order to get to that state, you must have also successfully walked the fourth, the path, which is the fourth noble truth. In other words, in your experience, in your practice, you have completely understood first noble truth was Dukkha, second noble truth, have let go, have abandoned craving. The noble truth have realized, have tasted Nibbana, a state of mind with no craving, and you have successfully developed, cultivated within you the path, the skills of getting your mind to that state. That's the short answer. Okay? <laughs> You're so merry about it. <laughs> That's a short answer. Now comes the longer answer. Longer answer, but we'll more slides. The longer answer. Now, the mind does not realize Dhamma at one go. The mind takes a while to get to a state where it begins to internalize what is Dhamma. So we call it gradual awakening. It may take a long time, In terms of your own practice, as you're watching how you try to understand, you may notice what I call the start-stop-seeing. You see something, you don't get it. Maybe you see it, maybe you don't get it. You don't know whether you're seeing, you're not guessing. You, You get what I'm saying? For those of you who are already practicing, going for your retreats, doing your meditation, do you get this? Do you feel this? Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you seem to get more, sometimes you got nothing. This is the start-stop thing because at this point, Dhamma is still hazy, a bit unclear. So you're trying to understand, you're trying to compare your experience. Not quite there, but sometimes you kind of get it. That means that, that period where you kind of got it, that period your panya is intact. That sati is enough. At that point, when you have the sati, you have the panya, I'm using Pali words, you all know. Huh? You have the sati, you have the panya, you kind of got it. Then when sati is gone, panya is a bit taking a break at the, in, the, in the kitchen. That's it. You don't get it. You see what I'm saying? So this is the start-stop problem. okay? But you continue to reflect. Every time you continue to reflect, you learn something, you internalize it. It's digested. And all these goes in as part of the learning experience. Okay? From the Buddha, I do not say that final knowledge is achieved all at once. On the contrary, final knowledge is achieved by gradual training, by gradual practice, by gradual process, progress. That three uh, verbs there, training, practice, and making progress, there are three different terms with three different emphasis. They're not the same. Buddha doesn't do thesaurus, uh. (laughs) meaning to say, use one word, give it three times, nice. That's us. That's not him. Every word that he puts out there has a meaning and a purpose. Training, when you start doing something, when you start, you train yourself. You get on, you try. You try again and again. When you get the hang of it, it becomes sort of a way of life. When you get the hang of it, it becomes sort of a way of life. It becomes a practice. Practice means something you you adopt, you know what's going on, you keep working at it. And at some point, you begin to see change for the better. That's progress. So they're not the same. If you say, I train, I practice, then I deteriorate. (laughs) I, I don't know what you're training. You're certainly not practicing the Buddhist path, hence the deterioration. You understand? It is possible, it is possible that in the course of your practice, you will lose your temper, you will have a craving, you will do something that you regret, and so on. So it's possible what you're human, what, right? So it's possible that that you can make mistakes. But the point is, when you make a mistake, note, no, move on. Note if it's a mistake, know you've made a mistake understand why it's a mistake, forgive yourself, move on. Because if you keep going back to saying, I scolded someone, I scolded someone, you scold once. But in your mind, you scolded a million times, multiple times. You don't want to do that. You want to keep moving on. Progress progress stagnates, uh, that your progress will stagnate if you keep going round and round and round, the same point. Internalize, understand, move on. Okay, Then when you keep practicing, when you keep training and practicing, and you keep making small steps, small steps, progress. Some of you may make bigger steps, bigger steps, progress. Okay? One should not be presumptuous. Okay? When you make all these little steps, Eventually, you get to a point we call entering the stream. This means that state of mind when you finally understand. I will explain in detail in a while. When you you enter the stream, entering the stream is making a certain progress, penetrating, understanding Dhamma. In Pali words, we say you have become a suttapana, one who has entered the stream. What happens when you hit this state of mind, the following things would happen to you? Number one, your perspective about life, priorities, the way the mind works, what you are, that perspective, that understanding changes. Therefore, right view, right understanding. It changes. So the very first thing that happens is knowledge. There is a dawning of realization. A real, that realization causes you to change your priorities, to change the way you look at life, to change the way you look at yourself in relation to other people. Things change. How you see the world changes. Okay, so the very first thing that happens is a change in knowledge, understanding. Because of the new understanding, because of that new knowledge that you had in that you have internalized, because of that, your faith in Buddha Dhamma and Sangha is consolidated. It becomes unshakable. It becomes absolute. Because right now, when, when you change, when you, you have a, a, a different perspective, you then realize what the Buddha had stood for. You realize who the Buddha was, what he was, and then you understand what the Dhamma is all about. And then you begin to see, from a different angle, what it means to be a practitioner. That is why the faith deepens. Before you get to that point, there is always a chance you may change your mind until you see for yourself how the Dhamma operates, what it means by Dhamma. Until you get to that point, there is always a risk. You may change your identity card. Okay, After all, your identity card is, had been based on belief. And we all know how shaky beliefs can be. Until you get to the point, it's just belief. Once you get to the point, it's knowledge. Knowledge you're less likely to draw. Belief you can. Okay. Not enough. Your character will change. Your moral conduct will change. And I will elaborate on this later. And you will experience, you must experience a deeper sense of peace and joy, contentment. Because the practice, that practice is about letting go. If you say, I understand, but I can't let go, there, there's a distinct, you see. If you understand, deep in you, that instinct to hold will start to unclean, you see, un un-grab. Now you are grasping, grapping. Once you start to understand how this mind works, you start to really realize the Dhamma, are you nuts? You're still holding on to what? You see what I'm saying? And because of that, because you're beginning to internalize a new habit, your new understanding, eh, leading to new efforts, new habits. Because of that, you are beginning to feel more at peace. Remember, dukkha is because you cling, you crave, you want, you've got so many preferences. That's because because of all these, you have dukkha. You understand Dukkha, right? If you understand Dukkha, you, you have to start let go a bit lah. A bit more sekhet a bit lah. A bit more standard, you know. I got five marbles, I'm five marbles, I'm five marbles. Are you nuts? So you start to let go, right? Drop one. Oh, it's okay, drop. So when you start to do that, you start to feel better. That's all. That's the reason for that sense of peace and the inner joy. Okay? Next question. Who is a sotapanna? Okay. Buddha said, A noble disciple who possesses four things is a sotapanna. What for? Don't click yet, click with some more. What for? A noble disciple possesses confirmed confidence in the Buddha thus. Meaning, your belief in the Buddha is as follows. Now, this is where it gets really cute. What is this? I I, I didn't write everything, but it's actually the chanting you have. You know, the one where you say, Itipiso, Vijja, Charana, Sampano. That's so that chant, that, that homage that you. Proclaim every time you enter a Dharma hall. eh? That homage is not just for chanting's sake. And you don't have to chant with tune and rhythm. It is knowing what it means. And what did it mean or what does it mean? You recognize that the Buddha was a teacher, a practitioner. A realized being, he knew what he was saying. He knew the practice. He knew what is an enlightened mind. He knew what, whatever he taught, it works. You now absolutely believe in it. He was what he said he was. I accept it, and I know it works. So your faith in him is no longer to a deity, but it, it was to a great, one of the greatest men. You will call him as a teacher and you feel that relationship, that connection. Because 2,500 years later, you're benefiting from that teaching. You owe it to him. Second, he possessed confirmed confidence in Dhamma, number two, and in Sangha, number three. Dhamma means knowing that it works. If you look at that Chan, right? akaliko, ehipasiko, opanaiko, and all those things, it actually means, sum it up, it means it works, it works now. You see it, you get it. You don't have to, in other words, you don't collect insurance after death. You can verify it in life, now. Premium paid in full, this life. Okay? And because you see it, you taste it, you realize it, you're happy. Paid. Paid up. And in Sangha, practitioners. You will notice practitioners. You will be inspired by them. You want to be like them. You, you know what they stand for. What, that, what do I mean by that? These are the guys who got it. It's difficult to read the map. The map needs an engineering degree to read. I don't know how to read. But the, but the Sangha knows how to read. So therefore, you go to the Sangha. And you believe that there that are Sangha members. You believe that. Okay? Finally, this is a new one. He possesses the virtues dear to the noble ones, unbroken, untorn, unblemished, unmalted. Freeing, praised by the wise, and grasp, leading to concentration. You notice uh, the word, I want to draw to your, your attention to this. Virtues meaning your morality values, okay? but dear to the noble ones. In other words, it is not by popular consent. It is to the wise people. So the judgment that we are concerned about is not the judgment of the general public, but the judgment of realized beings. If they look and they say something is wrong with that practice, you will say, okay, there's something wrong with this practice. But if the general public say there's something wrong with the practice, you who have entered that stream will be going, no, it's okay. Why? Because virtues in Buddhism, this whole idea about virtues is not an absolute term. Virtues need to be embraced, adopted, your morality, because of that practice that leads you to Nibbana. You do not do certain things that take you further away from Nibbana. You do things that will take you closer to Nibbana. You understand? It is not the public view of what is right or wrong. It is what helps in the practice and what takes you away from the practice. That is why the public says sampapalapa is okay. Talk talk. Talking talking. chi jet Okay, it's okay. But the practitioners say it's not okay. You see how strict practitioners say if you keep, if you talk, not, if you are not talking dumber it affects your concentration, it affects, it shakes the mind, then it takes you away from the practice. It takes you further from the practice. But if a conversation enables you to have sharpness, develop concentration, um, gladdens the heart, calms the mind, those are good. You understand? So, Virtues dear to the noble one is an extremely important phrase. It's not just any virtues. It is the practice that takes you closer to Nibbana. So that involves letting it go, don't hold on too tightly, forgive, forgive, that sort of things. Because it takes you closer to Nibbana. You look at the phrase, let me just pull out my trusty laser. Voila, It magic and uh, it's Unbroken, untorn, unblemished, unmalted. Meaning, in the manner that you practice, the virtues that you hold on to, it, they, they're not shaking. You see, uh, for the normal person, uh, who say for instance, just, just, just say for instance one precept, and the precept is, no taking things not given, which we happily call stealing, right? I don't want to accuse anybody, but the odds are when you are peeling that fucking coupon, uh, I don't know how much time you have taken uh, when you're peeling that fucking coupon, uh, okay? That is adina No one's coming after you, you know? there's no time police, uh, you take 10 minutes, don't have. But this is a dinner But, but, for a practitioner of this class, they try to, cannot, even that also, cannot jia, cannot jia, five minutes, cannot jia, three minutes. No jia-ing, okay? No jia-ing, okay. it's a new word. And, and, and look at this word. In the practice, by the way that they practice, it helps the mind to become lighter. So the virtues, right? Why what they are observing helps the mind to become lighter. okay? Ungrasp and leading to concentration. Therefore, the mind not only gets lighter, It gets more tranquil. It gets more tranquil, it gets more content. In that state of mind, the concentration deepens. Okay? Rotting. Not rotting. Okay. Okay. He is. Because he has all these. Qualities, because he's of this state of mind. Absolute faith in Buddha, so he knows what he is, whom, whom he is following. Absolute faith in the Dhamma, he knows what's the teaching all about. Absolute faith in the Sangha, he knows when someone is doing it right. He knows the path. He knows what has to be done. Okay, And it translates into his character change. Because of all these, he is no longer bound, 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 bound. Sometimes this happens. (laughs) Bound to the natural world, fixed in destiny with with enlightenment as his destination. In other words, when he moves on in this life, he would be okay. Move into the light energy, you know, be okay. And and enlightenment, in other words, the realization of nibbana will happen one day. Because the mind has really geared in that general direction. Call it the stream means you drift along, it's quieter. Why, why, okay, this analogy of the stream, right? Why stream? Buddha used the word flood for the world of the putujanas. Putujanas, everybody's world, the normal man's world. If you are the average human being, Buddha will call you a putujana. Okay? In this average world, you are living in the world of flood. Why flood? If you stare at your mind properly, you see your mind is constantly being tossed and turned by external factors and interacting with the internal understanding. So your mind reacts to whatever is going on out there and it tosses and turns. Floods. You get flood of impulses. You get flood of sensations. You get all kinds of, you respond in all kinds of way to this external world. It's a flood of torrents of, of, of um, impulses whacking you and you reacting to it. If you had entered that stream, your mind has to be more quiet. You have to be less affected. You must be less affected by all these events out there. And if you are less affected, you are therefore in a state which is quieter, like a stream. A stream is quiet. A flood is not. Okay? That's that distinction. Now, after realization, uh, the very first step, you enter the stream, you become sotapanna Following that, there are three other stages of spiritual awakening, which in English, we have translated it as sainthood. I'm saying it's not the most appropriate translation. Saying <laughs> no Buddha used the word arya, which merely means noble, meaning uh, above average. By our word, it's it's a good word. Okay. Now, what are they? Sakadagami, Anagami. Arahatta, Sakadagami, the word once returner means when this being, when this human has passed away, he will return to the gross world, the, this human, not, not human, the, I call this the gross world, um, sensual world, okay, the sensual world one more time. Non-returner, when he passed on, he's never going to come back to a sensual world. A world that depends on senses. Your eyes, your nose, your ears. These are senses. So Saketagami returned once to the sensual world. Anagami doesn't come back to the sensual world. Okay? And then the Arahata, no more coming back. How are these... yeah, you did take picture, right? How are are these stages differentiated, okay? According to the teachings. There's nothing there. It's just, hang on, huh? They are differentiated in the following ways. Number one, by the fetters broken. What do I mean by the fetters broken? It means certain types of mental energies, certain habits, certain instincts. If you go through the stages, those instincts will drop. Okay, Instincts drop depending on what stages you've gone through. And when they drop, when they are broken, they don't come back again. It, you wouldn't have a situation where someone managed to crack ill will. Then next life, again. It will. Don't have. Once it's dropped, it's dropped. It doesn't come back again. Okay. By the fetters broken. Number two, by the clinging energy remaining. We are clinging creatures. Very instinctively, we crave, we cling. As you begin to understand the Dhamma more and more, as you begin to understand more and more, you learn you learn to tell yourself, I must start to moderate all these clingings, right? Yes? yes. Hear it for the first time? <laughs> yes, sir huh? So you start to tell yourself, I will start to moderate all these craving and clinging. Accompanied by understanding, by understanding, if you start to understand why you have to do certain things, those effort. To unclean, to let go, those efforts get better. The more you understand, the more you are able to let things be. When you don't understand, you will be what I call the Chiwi Chak go type. Chiwi meaning full moon, new moon. You let go, full moon, new moon. Then after that, start again. You try, yeah, try only on two days in a month. If you begin to understand why, then you are likely to say, I will try to let it be. And you do it better and better. You understand? Okay. So this clinging energy will start to reduce as your understanding deepens. Okay? Number three, by the extent of the Dhamma understanding and enlightenment, wisdom. The more you understand the Dhamma, the more you are able, hang on, uh, let me just grab my blazer again. The more you understand the Dhamma, the more the fetters are broken, the more the clinging energy diminish. You get it? That's why they're all related. And therefore comes this point. All interrelated, growing wisdom, new insights, clinging energy reduces More factors that bind one to samsara are broken. That's how it goes in the circle. (laughs) Cycle. Same, (laughs) round. Okay? As long as your hands are raised, I assume you're clicking. Okay? I'm going to flip, huh? Next, ayah, it doesn't flip. So, as a Sotapana, at the first stage, what are your fetters broken, okay? Number one, Sakaya Ditti. Ditti, understanding, perspective, view. That's Diti. Therefore, Diti also means philosophy, okay? Sakaya. Essence in me. There is an essence within. The view, the perspective, the understanding, the instinct that there is an essence in me. I'm real. Okay? How does this fetter drop? This fetter can drop only, only when you realize intuitively. uh, intuitively realize anicca dukkha anatta what is anicca impermanence when you realize impermanence in that third level not the gross level not that movement level but the third level where you looking at your mind you see the arising and the fading away of feelings of perception, of thinking, of experiences, again and again and again, you see this change happening in split nanosecond in your mind. If you're in deep meditation and you're observing just form, we're not even talking about emotions. We're talking about form. Looking at form, you see the dots in your form. Pins and needles. La. You say a bit longer, you have pins and needles. Or just see energies in your form. You keep seeing it. It's a nature. It's impermanent. Experience at that level. And then you see this throbbing energy, Shankara Dukkata, the throbbing energy of Dukkha, buried, embedded in the mind. You see it. And you know that this Dukkha, this Sensation, This unpleasant sensation is the uh, result of that craving energy that is so subtle but it's right there staring at you. And you see it. And then comes the crown jewel, anatta. Remember what I said last week? Again and again, the mind tells itself, no mind, no I, no self. Self is a concept, I is an identity, mind is a possession. How do you express self? If self is real, do you need all these external factors, exogenous factors to feed its identity? I am so and so. It's me. I have this and that. Me. Self, lucky best, never seen but there. So we keep doing these things. And when you intuitively see it in meditation, and it must spill into daily life. You see it in meditation is not good enough. It has to spill in daily life so that as you go about normal life, you begin to realize moment to moment that I is a mind construction. You have to keep doing that. Then it's possible for you to let go of the I. So much effort just to get rid of that eye, that sense of the eye, okay? You must see mental, physical, phenomenal as just conditions. Remember last week what I said about the ecosystems? There is a mental ecosystem, there's a physical ecosystem. The ecosystems is conditional. Each part conditions the next You must see that. In meditation and out of meditation, the realization that you, whatever experiences, are no more than a collection of ecosystems. When you can see all these, then you realize there is nothing, nothing that precious, that valuable to hold on to. Got to realize this one. Nothing very precious to hold on to. It's only when you have gone through these that, that Sakaya Diti, the sticky factor, can drop. You have to go through this. This is that link between seeing Dhamma, what you're supposed to see, which is last week's class and the week before, what you're supposed to see and how you're supposed to practice and experience it. This is that link. Okay. This is Sakaya Diti, the first fetter, one of three fetters to crack. And how do you arrive at this fetter? Sorry, how do you arrive at cracking this fetter? It is through understanding through panya, intuitive realization. Panya is what gets you here, you see. It's knowledge and realization that gets you to crack this fetter. The second one, the second fetter to crack is vichikicha, which has been been translated as doubt, and I've said so many times that this I prefer the, to use the word perplexity, okay? Now, same thing. To crack this fetter, you also need knowledge and intuitive understanding, realization. And what are the intuitive understanding? Intuitively seeing and understanding Dhamma concepts, all the Dhamma concepts, ranging from your Four Noble Truths to conditionality. What is tilakana? Anicha duka, anatta. The three characteristics of the mind. And come all the concepts you know. You understand. You know what they mean. You know how they relate to each other. You strip it bare bones. You are not going into so much ideas. Have you read books with a lot of ideas? Never read books also. <laughs> ah, never read books. Okay. Yeah. You go and read one of those books, the scholar books, the, the one written for scholars. Ah, you go read there's a lot of material. so much ideas, difficult to digest. But the Dhamma, not so difficult to digest. Once you get the hang of it, it is not so complex, okay? intuitively seeing and understanding. That's the key word. Huh? The key words are this one and this one. So it is not I know the Pali stanzas to explain four noble truths and uh, four paths. The Pali stanza, no. It is tasting it in meditation spilling into daily life. Intuitive seeing uh, is you actually observe the phenomenal, and you take a pen and you write down. I'm seeing it as it happens. Understanding is, I see it already, and I know what it means. Many a time, you can see, but you don't know what it means. The bee sees things bumping up and down. He doesn't know what it means. So he doesn't know the signs. You understand? We we may see things. That is why you go and listen to people who have gone for a long retreat, right? And they talk about the mind. Quite fascinating. A lot of details they talk about. But may or may not understand what they're seeing. So they're dots. You mean the mind works in dots? I don't think that's the point. The point is not that the mind works in dots, but that they're all impermanent. You see what I'm saying? You can see things, but did you conclude correctly? So Buddha was very kind, He gave you the 10-year series answer. (laughs) He gave you the model answer. When you see impermanence, this is what it means. When you see dukkha, this is what you're supposed to see. This is how you're supposed to see it. Then we all happily just see it our way. Salah, okay? Remember the Buddha's explanation. It's not difficult. It's relatively straightforward. You just remember it and go in your meditation. As a result of understanding, now you know why and how to let go of the I. I wrote the word being and ideas. eh? There are actually two sets of things you learn to let go of. And you know that you have to do it. It doesn't mean at this point, eh, it doesn't mean you have let go of them. At this point, what it means is you know, you need to tame your craving for two things, two sets of things. Number one, the ego. The ego. By this time, you have let go of the view that there is an essence in you. But it doesn't mean that your habit to have the arising of an ego habit of that arising, it doesn't mean that has gone. That one doesn't go until you are arahan. So when you are sotapanna, you still got an I, okay? The only difference is you know this I is mind-made. Habits, old habits. And you learn to constantly, you learn to let it go. The energy arises with the I, you just drop it. And there are two types two types of habit going on there. One is the habit, this word being, uh, what it means is wanting to be alive. Wanting to continue existence. The second one, ideas. You don't believe it? You ask yourself this. You ask yourself, which I cannot answer for you. You will tell me, it, since I started practicing, uh, I don't have so much food craving. Uh. Correct? Uh? Who say correct? Or say wrong? Uh? <laughs> you're still craving so hard for what? Seriously? Okay. The odds are you say that actually my craving for food, a bit more measured. Uh? Not that you have dropped it completely, but you're a bit more measured, more moderated. Correct? Fair. Fair, uh? okay. Where was the last time you argued with someone about the ideas? Ideas, uh, just ideas. It can be something as simple as which bus to go there best. My bus best than your bus, you will say, better than your bus. It can be something so mild, you know. So as, as, as simple as which method of cooking is better. Should I pong it this way or pong it that way? Simple things. These are ideas. Does it really matter? You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Simple things. And when it gets to the one that really matter, such as religion, it gets ugly. You see what I'm saying? Why these ideas are so precious? Because they define who you think you are. Sometimes, all these ideas are even more potent in triggering a fight, then I want my food. You see what I'm saying? Because it sounds so much more noble to fight for ideas. Silly, la, but same, 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 same ideas, okay? So, <clears throat> so, the first thing we learn to let go is the I, which is contained in ideas and in the sense of being. The sense of being alive is a very potent one, don't underestimate it. The very thought that you will die, think about it seriously. Don't think about it in this way, uh. I will die, but sometime. uh. just never mind, it won't happen so fast. So I'm not scared of death. When you are right at the doorstep, it's a different story. That is scarier, okay? Letting go requires us to also think that way. Learn to think that way, which is why in Buddhism, in the Buddha's teaching, there are so many parts dealing with reflection on death, sense of reality check. Okay. The second thing you have to learn to let go is sensual desires. Taste is just one of them, but there are so many more. Sight, hearing, smell, touch, and so on. And this is only possible with practice. Because of realization, you will gain faith and conviction in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. This part you know. We've explained it earlier. So let me just recap this part. Huh? Where we talk about rich dropping, there is a knowing what's what what the concepts are, knowing what they means, and you know it intuitively because you've seen it, knowing it, and knowing why you have to do certain things. Because if you say you understand the concepts, you know the teaching, you must also know the end game. What ultimately is this path to achieve? This is not just a path a teaching that describes the nature of reality. That's not the intent. The intent is not a philosophical study. This is the nature of reality. Ta-da! That's not the intent. The intent is letting it go so that you experience Nibbana. That's the intent. And if that's the case, you have to cross from understanding what's going on, what is going on, to how do I get there. So, therefore, what's going on? And how do I get there? See that? And this faith, this absolute faith, is because you have seen how it works. The third fetter that you will drop, sylabata, Paramahansa dropping the belief that if you perform rites and rituals, certain types of rites and rituals, it will lead to spiritual enlightenment and liberation. You see, in any religious, philosophical teaching that advises on how to have a good life in this life and the next, because that's what Buddhism is about, right? Advising on what you must do to have a good life here and the hereafter. In any philosophic, philosophical teaching or religious teaching, there will always have a, an element about what you should be doing. And what you should be doing is rites and rituals. What you should be doing to do it right. okay. And in this practice, the moment you understand, the moment you see the correlation between what you must do and where you go once you see this correlation you will realize that rites and rituals make no sense that's what it means rites and rituals in in the in this sotapanna mind they are only to they are means to an end but the end is not the end goal the end is for the practice they will see that It is therefore not for spiritual enlightenment. The rituals is not for spiritual enlightenment. The rituals is to help you to get more mindful, get more some degree of samadhi, perhaps help you to gain panya. It's all the front end. You're loading it on the front end. Build faith. Build sadda, build virya, build sati, samadhi, and panya. It is not for you to realize nibbana. Get it? So this part, this part, you will realize it. Okay? You understand and realize the role, meaning and the significance of the factors of enlightenment. What are the factors of enlightenment? <laughs> Sati. Yes, what else? Satda. Virya. Five only, like the five stars, you know, five only, not difficult, okay? So, you begin to understand and realize for yourself what each of these factors of enlightenment, what they are, what they mean for the practice, and you know you have to develop them, okay? So, therefore, it's not about rites and rituals. It's about developing these Factors of enlightenment, these qualities. Because why you know I said earlier, if you remember the earlier one, uh, uh, Sakaya Diti and Vichikicha, okay? Sakaya Diti, the letting go of the I essence. Vichikicha, your the, the perplexity drops. Because of that too, right? What is happening in that front? What is happening there is your craving and your clinging will start to diminish. Because that craving and clinging energy is diminishing, the result is, according to the Buddha, if this person doesn't get it, he has at most seven more rebirths. If he doesn't penetrate to the end, he has at most seven rebirths, Okay, it doesn't mean he must use up his quota. It may well be just one more rebirth and that's it. Or he not kill up enough. One, then two, then three, then four. Then... <laughs> by, by by seven, pssst, okay, it will happen. Okay. Because the negativities in the mind are not that intense, not too gross, then there will not be a rebirth in hell as an animal or in a ghostly state. This is how that correl- the correlation lies. You understand this, part, huh? Okay. Next. You need a break or we continue? Because if we break now, it's going to be a long one. Okay. Hey, it works. Because when I was doing it, it didn't work. Okay, but it disappeared. (laughs) The fetters weaken. The word here is not broken. If you recall, under Sotapana, that three fetters, Sakayaditi, which teaches paramasa, the three fetters were broken. This one says weaken. Okay? Kamaraga, sensual desires. Meaning your attachment to sense basis. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. Okay? And patiga, anger, ill will, hatred. Patiga is actually just anger. Ill will, okay? Because... The practitioner, hang on, huh? because the practitioner is clear about the end goal, because he understands the Dhamma, he knows about the journey and so on and so forth, he is trying to trim that craving because he understands about the end goal. The end goal is Nibbana, ultimately all letting go. Okay? He understands the Dhamma now, right? By now, he understands the Dhamma. First part really understood the Dhamma. So now he understands the Dhamma. He knows about the practice. He knows what he has to do. So he tries. He tries very hard to let go. Let go of all those cravings. His efforts will translate into a weaker clinging energy. Weaker craving energy. Okay, But as I said, knowing is one thing. Achieving it is another. And the challenge is to overcome habits and instincts. Practice here for this part two. Sakatakami, it is about conduct. It is not about insight anymore. What do I mean? He already knows the Dhamma. He knows the Dhamma. He knows what he has to do. Now he just has to do it. You see what I'm saying? There will be insights. Insights will continue to grow. It doesn't mean the insights stop. The deepening of insight about the nature of the mind, that deepening helps him to let go. It helps step by step, baby steps, I call it, baby steps. It helps him to change, to grow. But not easy. So therefore, up to this point, only manage to weaken. Kamaragga, padiga. And therefore, because it's weakened so much, he comes back one more time. That's why it's called once returner. Just come back one more time. The other one seven, ma. So reduce it one more time, okay? Oh, oh, uh, they're all here. <laughs> Sorry, uh, i just pull them all out since I talk so much. Okay. Because of deep en- deepening understanding of the correlation between dukkha and craving, moderation and bliss, he will make conscientious efforts to let go of that two things, the I and the sense pleasures. You keep letting go of this I. Keep letting it go. At this level of practice, the mind becomes even more objective, it becomes even more detached, it sees another even more clearly. Very detached but attachment to eye instincts can still be very sticky. Hasn't cracked it. One more round. Okay? One more round. Oh, you take pity, take pity, then this one come out. Aiyah, another rebirth. One more rebirth in the sensual play. Sensual means, you know, the heavens, but not the meditation heaven, not the meditative heavens. Okay. Moving on. Anagami. The word agami means coming back. Anam is no more. So therefore, non-returner. Okay. The factor's broken. The same one. Kamaragga and Completely cut out. Kamaragga and No more anger. Therefore, your assumptions about the saints, uh, the so called Aryas, you got to moderate a bit. Uh. How come this one practitioner got anger? God. Only anagamis don't have. Okay? So careful about that, huh? <clears throat> but there is a subtle attachment to meditation, and because of that subtle attachment to meditation, when they come back for another birth, it is to the meditation heavens. Okay. Not finish yet. Don't take picture. some more. Change. Okay. There is some attachment to the eye. And when the rebirth takes place, it is to a particular plane of existence called the Suddhawasa. Suddhawasa. Okay? And finally, almost there, almost there. Finally, Arahan. There are five fetters. Actually, this one should have cut five. But there are five fetters broken. Eh? The first one and the second one. Don't click yet, there are five of them. Rupa Ragga, Arupa Ragga. Oh, maybe you want to take because the picture changed. <laughs> Not my fault again. Okay? <laughs> we well, this picture quite nice, ma. Rupa Ragga and Arupa Ragga. What is. Ragga means attach. Attached to the jhana, the rupa jhanas. Arupa raga means being attached to the arupa jhanas. In the Buddhist segregation of the jhanas, you have four rupa and four arupa jhanas. Okay? So, you know the anagamis meditate. And the anagamis, these are the third stage ones, huh? They are attached to. They were the anagamis are were attached to whatever state of meditation they get into. The arahants are not attached to mental or physical experiences. The physical experiences were the one that you and I, the the the, the lower two levels of uh, noble beings, they are still attached to it. Therefore, they come back in the sensual plane. The third stage. They are not attached to forms, the physical sensations, but they're still attached very subtly to the meditation. So they end up in a meditating uh, state, level of existence. The arahants drop everything; they are attached to nothing. So rupa raga gone, arupa raga gone. Okay, not attached even to the I. This no more arising of ego. The word is mana. No more attachment to the habit of drifting towards things. You know, that, that just going after something, completely gone. So no more restlessness. Absolutely no more wants. Finally, avidja. No more ignorance, complete understanding of Nibbana and Dhamma. Of conditionality, vulnerable truths, understood, abandoned, realized, developed. Wait, ah, let me explain what, how come the words are like that? Wait, let me get my trusty laser. Dukkha is understood, craving is abandoned, Nibbana is realized, the path is developed. Sutta Nipata is one of the oldest, um, it's one of the books in Kudaka Nikaya. Buddha's teaching under the discourses were compiled into, are compiled into five books, five collections. One of them is Kudaka Nikaya. And this is one of the books in there. <clears throat> Mention four preconditions for entering the stream. <clears throat> Number one, association with arias. The word is actually aria. Number two, I'll give you all four first, then you can take it here. Number two, listening to the true Dhamma. Number three, proper attention. You manasikara. And number four, practice in accordance with the Dhamma. Let me explain what they mean. Essentially, what is said here is actually two parts. Huh? One, when we say association with superior people or with the Aryas, it means coming into contact with the Sangha. The idea here, remember Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha cannot come into contact with Buddha. Not possible. So therefore, must be Dhamma and Sangha. Just remember that. So the first one is having this close association with Sangha. Okay. And then two and three and four are about Dhamma. Listening to the true Dhamma implies that you have access. You are able to, you have that blessings, the luck, whatever you call it, the good fortune to come into contact with true Dhamma. The word here is true Dhamma, the correct teaching, the Buddha's original teaching, the correct teaching. But having that teaching and being associating with the the real practitioners, not enough. Why is that? Because ultimately, it's a personal journey. You need to see the Dhamma for yourself. You must want to do it, you must want to see it, and you have done the necessary and you see it. So you want to see it is practiced in accordance with Dhamma. Your practicing must mean that you want to. If you have no particular preference while you're practicing, it's not exactly easy then. It requires self restraint, it requires uh, effort, and in the process, it's also very dukkha. For those of you who have gone on retreat, the first day, matyam like hell. <laughs> then, if you are one of those who have been indulging left, right, center type, second, third day also like hell. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> so, to want to practice, first, you've got to contact, come into contact with the true Dhamma. And then you want to practice, so practice in accordance with that Dhamma. Therefore, when we talk about Dhamma, there are different parts. There is what it is, what must be done, and doing it. There are three parts to it. Huh? Proper attention is the actual practice itself, You looking at your mind carefully, paying attention to how the mind works. So what it means, you put the four together, it means I have learned from from the correct people, they have taught me the correct message, I am now practicing according to that message, and I'm doing it right. Doing it right. Put the four together, this means God. Chance. <laughs> Without these four, no chance. Okay? When does it happen? Ah da da, when does it happen? Okay? Buddha said <clears throat> five ways. Five ways that it could happen. When it happens, basically, when it happens, what will you do it? Okay, five ways. Number one, while you were sitting down there, quite quiet, listening to a teacher, because he was talking to the bhikkhus, therefore a fellow practitioner, fellow monk. Okay. While listening, in other words, when you are listening. Number two, you yourself are giving the dhamma talk. When you are talking and explaining, you got it. Eureka moment happen when you're talking. <laughs> okay? Number three, you see, in the old days, they will recite. Because everything is memory work, ma. In the old days, everything is memory work. Therefore, they were reciting. Today, some of us still reciting, which is fine. But the main thing is not just reciting Dhamma. The main thing is in detail as he has learnt it or mastered it. As you had learnt it, that you understand. Number four, you learn Dhamma, right? Now in your daily life, you reflect on Dhamma. As you are walking, as you are sitting, doing your Daily rituals, activities, you ponder, you examine, you investigate Dhamma. So you think, reflect on the knowledge that you have picked up. Okay? And number five, learns well a certain object of concentration, attends to it well, sustains it well, penetrates it thoroughly. This, number five, is meditation. You have an object of meditation. You spend your time looking at the object, holding it clearly in your mind. And at some point, you realized it. You understood that object. How does it work? I give you breath, breathing. You look at breathing, you look at breathing, you look at breathing, you look at breathing. Suddenly, it strikes you. It's impermanent. It keeps changing. And it's not driven by anything. It has a mechanism. Going on by itself, another became obvious. You see what I'm saying? So this when you the concentration is only one of five possible possible point when you realize, okay? Remember this. One, when you are listening to the Dhamma talk, two, when you're giving the Dhamma talk, three, when you are reciting. A teaching of the Buddha. Therefore, under three, you recite in Pali, I guarantee you can't realize. (laughs) Except for some of you who are Pali scholars. The rest of you, when you recite in Pali, you cannot realize. Because you're supposed to understand what you are saying. Okay? Number four, this means you have already accumulated knowledge. Dhamma concepts, Dhamma understand, you have really accumulated. It is now part of the reservoir of information in here. And then as you go through life, maybe you're pouring coffee and espresso. <laughs> Impermanent. <laughs> <laughs> as you are observing a feature, then suddenly Dhamma dawns on you. Ah, you, yours, yours number four. Okay? And then the meditation. Now, that doesn't mean you don't meditate because you don't one or five, ah. Because you still need the sati samadhi to keep the mind quiet. And therefore, in daily life, it is possible for you to ponder, examine, and investigate. You don't have sati samadhi. You ponder, examine, investigate, and think a lot. Get it? Not same, okay? Up to this point, any question? The preconditions that must be put in place the preconditions that must be put in place, the four of them, when it can happen, and now what gets you through. Okay. It's either through Sadda or through panya. This is what it means. That which tilts you across is either through sadha or through panya. Don't click yet. Plenty, plenty more to go. I will give you the whole lot, okay? Buddha said, the eye is impermanent, changing, becoming old. Otherwise, so too, the ear, the nose, tongue, and so on. One who places faith resolves is to want to follow. Resolves on them is called a faith follower meaning to say the manner in which you understand the Dhamma, at this point, uh, you just got it, is because your faith in the Buddha was so strong, you hear it from him, you got it. Straight away, this idea of the I, the EYE. That eye, the nose, being, an impermanent features of the mind, experiences that floats in, drifts off, goes in and out, in and out, again and again and again. Impermanence is a feature of the mind. Because you hear the Buddha say it, because you read it, you hear it, that's it for you, you understood straight away impermanence. And when you have understood it to a certain degree that you just embrace the teaching wholeheartedly, fully, you have entered the stream. Can be done. So in the Buddha's time, there were many who entered through Saddha. They sat, they listened, the heart lifts, just listening to him, the heart lifts. They are so, they are so joyous, the mind clears, they see the Dhamma impermanence is not a concept anymore. It is an experience. Just by listening to him, they got it. They got the part about it being an experience, it's impermanent, and they got the part that all this impermanence means there is no essence. You need, you need to drop Sakaya Ditti, right? The sense of the I. And Richie I have absolutely no doubt he is right the joy is so extreme, the guy just get through. Hmm? So that's faith. And the Buddha said, he he will not do any action that will cause him to be reborn in hell, animal, or the domain of the ghost. He is not capable of passing away without having realized the fruit of stream and tree entry, this thing about the different levels of understanding, Dhamma understanding, that four levels I was talking about earlier, has two parts to it. There is the path and there is the fruit. The path is the knowledge on how it is done. The fruit is the experience of what it feels like with that realization. That's the two parts. Okay. Now, This is entering through faith. Read it, hear it from the Buddha. Sorry, not read it. In the time of the Buddha, they heard it from the Buddha. Just when the Buddha talks about the eye is impermanent and all those things, they got it, got through, just like that. One for whom these teachings are accepted, after being pondered to a sufficient degree, with wisdom is called a Dhamma follower. So, the second way in which you enter is through panya, understanding. You reflect on the teaching, after a while, you understand what it means, and then you're holding on to that I, that mind, that self drops. It doesn't work like that anymore. You know it, you realized it, you're through. Okay? Same thing, same thing. So this came from Okan, Okantika, Samyutta one. OK, I love this picture, isn't it? Maybe you should shift Buddha a bit to the side. OK, next. Now, even. This is the part. This part, um, it's good to know. But the next part is what brings joy. Even, even if one is not a sotapana, one can still be assured of a better rebirth if one possesses the following qualities. When a person's mind has been fortified for a long time by sadda, virya, Learning is sikha, I think. Generosity, dana, and paniya. Goes upwards, goes to distinction. He was talking to his cousin. Mahanama was his cousin. Do not be afraid. Your death will not be a bad one. In other words, if you are a student of the Buddha, you are his disciple, you spend this life understanding more, having that faith, doing the right thing, learning, giving, and that should keep you well. That's all. Because you have these qualities in the mind. What it means is this. We are talking about truly developing these qualities. You have faith, virtue is your sinner, morality. Learning is trying to build understanding of Dhamma. This is not learning called economics, science, technology. It is not that learning. It doesn't mean you got PhD you. Mm, going upstairs. No. This learning has to do with Dhamma learning, huh? So it's Dhamma learning, giving, giving. These qualities, if you develop these qualities, your mind is light. Your mind is giving, your mind is light. When you're on your deathbed, the mind stays light. It should lift. If you say, I am a Buddhist, and you don't have any of these qualities other than faith in your definition, then all bets are off. We take back the guarantee. Okay. It's when you have it correct, then you're fine. And a lot of you here should be fine, okay? Buddha went on to say, you can have an individual who's not a sotapanna. This means the, the expression here does not confirm confidence. It's sadda. This is the enlightenment factor of sadda. So this person doesn't have that kind of sadda, okay? He is not of joyous wisdom. No paneer, Not happy when you hear. Not quick sharp. So you have not attained liberation. You're not a sutapana. But he has five things. Okay? He has What are these? <laughs> what I have been saying we have to Cultivate. But he has all these five things. And you have the teachings accepted after you have pondered to a sufficient degree with wisdom. You have accepted his Dhamma, but you haven't seen it. You're not Sotapanna, you haven't quite seen it, but you believe in it. You, you, you have thought about it, you accept it, you believe in it, you also will not end up in hell. As an animal, in the domain of the ghost, etc., you wouldn't go wrong. Why is that so? If truly, again, uh, truly you develop faith and uh, as virya, sati, samadhi, and panya. Truly you develop according to the Buddha's definition. Not sure, check back previous notes. If you develop according to the Buddha's teaching, your mind will stay light, it will stay light, it will stay soft. When the time comes to exchange the form, it cannot go so wrong, ah. okay? So no scared, <laughs> no scared. This is according to Panya. So you say, but I'm not very Panya, never mind, someone got this one. <laughs> This one not very panya one. Also can. Look at this. What did the Buddha say? Sufficient faith. You don't have confirmed faith. You have sufficient. Chukko. Also can. Nice. Not so bad. Huh? Okay. And this came from what sutta? In case you think I made it up. Sarakani, Samyata Nikaya, okay? He said, Buddha said, even if these trees could understand what I'm saying, I also declare they are stream winners. <laughs> Meaning, uh, but uh, tree is what? Uh? In Malay. Boko, Okay, obviously I don't know. <laughs> I want to say batu, <laughs> which is stone. <laughs> okay, never mind wood, okay? Ah, Kayu, but also difficult. (laughs) Kayu, (laughs) alright. If the trees could understand, I also declare their stream winners. This is where it came from, okay? Okay, finally. Actually, we don't have to come back around another round. See, we're going into will we know for ourselves, okay? Buddha gave a checklist. <laughs> we all love checklists, don't we? Now, cannot cheat, ah. The checklist is for you to review for yourself. You're not reviewing for others. You're reviewing for yourself. So this is a checklist for you to review. It comes from Kosambiya Sutta, Machi for 48. Number one. It is knowledge. You know for yourself, that there, are, there is no nivaranas. What's nivaranas? Hindrances. You know, if nothing else, you walk out of here with Pali knowledge. <laughs> nivaranas. Unabandoned in myself that might so obsess my mind that I cannot know and see things as they actually are. Let me just explain this carefully. It doesn't mean you don't have. Read the words carefully. It means you know whatever is there, whatever is there, are not strong enough to cloud the mind that you can't see things as they actually are. And you know it. The emphasis here, you know your mind. Know for yourself the state of your mind. It goes down to knowing that the mind is ready to see dhamma. They're not the same. Knowing what's going on in the mind is one thing realizing, when you're looking at your mind, you realize that this state is just about right. I'm just waiting for my understanding of Dhamma to arise. Knowing that state of mind is important. You understand? No need to repeat. A very important part of the practice is having the clarity of state of mind. You know what's in your mind and you know you know what's going on, and you know for yourself what is there, enough or not to see. You know that. Clearly understands the importance of a clean mental space for practice and why. Meaning you know that it is important that the mind is clean, pure. You know why it has to be like that? How it's like that, and when it is like that. You know that, that's Panya. Okay? So, the first one, the first one, whether or not you have entered that stream, you therefore must know all aspects of what's going on in the mind. You know what's required, you know when you have the conditions in place. You know, you're just waiting for the knowledge, the realization to arise. If you don't know what's going on in your mind, you don't know what's needed, you don't know anything, you know you're in the moment. That's not it. Okay? That you're in the moment, it's not it. After you realize, really, in the moment is it. Not the same. Okay? Number two, that was one, got seven. Number two, when I pursue, you know, eh, you know, when I pursue, develop, and cultivate this view, I obtain internal serenity, I obtain stillness. What view? Refer to point one. Okay? Meaning to say... You know for yourself, my mind is clean. I know for myself, my mind is clean, and I know for myself that even if I have negativities, they are not so strong that will make it impossible for me to see things as they are. I know that. Knowing that makes me happy. Keeps me serene. I know it, I'm happy. He goes into a state of stillness, and he knows it. He knows how to arrive at the state of stillness. So, there are two, these two Buddhas said, understands. Know what's going on there? Know when the mind is quiet? Know that this is enough. I can get it. Okay? Number three, understand thus. There is no other recluse or Brahmin outside who possess the view such as I possess. Let me explain this before you all go, (gasps) chauvinism. (laughs) I read your mind, you know. You see, I'll just give you all of it. You see, to get to a state where you see another, To get to a state where anitya is I already said is not difficult, dukkha is not difficult. But to get to a state to see another, to accept another, is very difficult. In order to even get there, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of cultivation, with the correct teaching and understanding. So you know. You know it when other teachings don't have the same emphasis and don't have the same results. That's all. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? It merely means you realize that the teaching is unique. That's all. It doesn't mean you say, I'm better than you. It merely means the realization the realisation that what you are going through, what you are experiencing is unique. It is just not talk about outside of this school. That's all. And then you may, at that point, realise that you were lucky. At least there is this version that you can accept and you practice from there. Okay? So three, dealing with knowledge. It's only when you begin to see the Dhamma, it's only when you begin to see and realize the Dhamma that this third point arises. If you haven't seen the Dhamma, you don't know what the Dhamma is, you wouldn't say other people didn't teach, or other schools don't have this, or other philosophies don't talk about this. You don't realize it. But when you begin to see the Dhamma, you realize how different the teaching is. Okay? Hmm? Oh, sorry. This is (laughs) misclick. The three of which deals with you knowing what's in your mind, what state it is in, what level of understanding you have, what's going on. The next one deals with being honest about yourself. This is about conduct. You say you realise. You say you understand. Has it translated into the way you behave? Look look at what it said here. He may commit some offence for which a means of rehabilitation has been laid down. Still, he at once confesses, reveals, discloses to the teacher all to the wise companions, and having done that, enters upon restraint for the future. Meaning to say, you can make mistakes, but you will go tell people, sorry, I did this. Then you don't do it again. Don't do it, enter upon restraint, not, sorry, they go do. Then, sorry, they go do. Sorry. <laughs> you, you made a mistake because we are human. Human, possible to make mistakes. Then you feel bad about it, and then you say, I'm going to change, I'm going to do it differently, and I won't do it again. And then you don't do it again. You try to. And you ask yourself, are you like that? Okay? Do I possess the character of a person who possesses the right view? You have that understanding. Do you then behave like one who has that understanding? So, in the Dhamma, it is not just knowledge, it is knowledge and conduct. Therefore, the chanting vidya charana. Vidya is knowledge, charana, conduct. Okay? Next, number five Do I possess the character of a person who possesses the right view? Now, you say you understand, okay? Do you try to aspire to practice further? If you say you understand, then you say, okay, next slide, continue. Where's your understanding? Why is that so? What is this understanding about? This understanding is about Dukkha, right? You know Dukkha, very painful, it's embedded in existence. And you know Dukkha is because you crave, all this craving. You see, you understand the correlation, but yet, but yet you continue to build that craving. Craving, chong, chong a bit farther, faster, chong a bit harder then there is no moderation. Where's the understanding? What is the understanding? So in this world, they are saying that if I really possess the understanding, then I will try. I will keep trying. I will try to understand a bit more, try a bit harder, work a bit better, and so on. Baby steps, you keep pushing. In baby steps, you keep pushing, you don't let go. Keen regard for training in the higher state, training in the higher mind, training in the higher wisdom. You continue. So notwithstanding, you push on to the next level. The more mature you are in your understanding, the more you want to continue. Okay. Six the strength of the person who possesses the right view. Right view, again, huh? all this is about realisation. Okay, Give you all of it. If you are on, in that stream, you hear the Dhamma and you will just pay attention. You will mull over it, you will welcome it, it gives you a lot of joy. If you're in that stream, anything to do with Dhamma, you feel a lot of joy because it sings now with your mind. If you have that joy, you will work in the practice. The strength is one who will push ahead with this practice. Okay? And finally, Wait, let me just give you this. Finally, when you hear the Dhamma, Vinaya, you are inspired, you are happy, there's this connection with the Dhamma, you want to keep going. So, knowledge, conduct, taste, realization, they feed each other. Okay? So the individual must know for himself the following. What is your understanding of Dhamma? When we talk about five aggregates, by clinging, your mind should abide contemplating the rise and fall. You see things as they are. They come up, they fade away, when he abides contemplating rise and fall, affected by clinging, the I conceit based on the five aggregates is dropped. I'm repeating this. When that is so, the practitioner understands the conceit I am based on these five aggregates, affected by clinging, is abandoned. He has full awareness. All these I have been saying again and again. This is from the Mahasunyata Sutta you know the arising and the fading away of each sensations as they surface in the mind. In each of them, you see for yourself the eye is missing. You dropped it. And You keep doing that. And you know full awareness. You know as they happen. I'll give you another lot. Huh? So your understanding of Dhamma is about knowing the eye is missing, Anatta, knowing anicca, impermanence. When you perceive impermanence, the perception of non-self stabilizes. One who perceives non-self eradicates the conceit I am, which is Nibbana in this very life. Now I ask you, do they make sense? Well done, they are about understanding the path, they are not conceptual, they are experiential. So now that you understand, right, do you have Vichikicha? Do you know the Dhamma now? Do you know what Sakaya Diti? What do I see of the eye? What do you see of Akta? How does your mind see the world? This understanding of Dhamma boils down to this. That's all it is. That is what Good. Okay? Up to this point, there are many more questions to go. Up to this point, this is about understanding, this is about knowing what the Buddha taught. You're good? Okay? Now that you understand the Dhamma, now that you have seen the Dhamma, okay, how has it changed your character? How does it affect your conduct? How does it change your personality? <laughs> Ooh, I didn't know there were so many. The understanding of the Dhamma has to have an impact on how you behave. And I've said this before. If only you say you have changed, you have not la. <laughs> the world must see a change in you. Well, of course, of course you must also know that you have changed. You must know because you are making restraints and you understand the reason for your restraints and you're doing all kinds of things, okay? So you must know you're changing. But if, as I said, only you know, no one else agrees with you, then what it means is your change not kilat yet. <laughs> it either means that or you, you think you change, but that's about it. It's delusion. More moha. <laughs> okay? So this part, you need to be aware. Increase your own self-awareness. And if you're lucky, you have a Kayana meter, your kalyana meter may be willing to be honest with you. So tell you, you think you change? Uh? No, right? Uh? <laughs> 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 yeah, your kayana meter must be willing to be honest with you. Uh, but it better be a meter, If it's not a kayana meter, they got a problem, okay? Uh, what I said earlier on about the seven renewing reviewing knowledge, the, two of them are about conduct, huh? Okay, have I experienced some degree of niruddha, the joy of letting go, the insight of the path? You see, if you start to change, part of the thing that keeps you going, right, is the sense of joy that comes on spontaneously for you when you start to let go, start to moderate, start not to have so much one things at all. It will happen. If you say, no, I try to let go, but still not not quite it. Maybe the letting go got a problem. Not quite it. (laughs) It's not quite the correct way of letting it go. And if you're doing it correctly, your faith in the Triple Gem will increase. Only you know. So the feeling of the joy, the feeling of the peace, only you know. The understanding of the practice, only you know. Your faith, what does your faith sit on? Only you know, okay? Faith must be anchored on experience. Is my restraint anchored on knowledge and understanding? Because only when it is, then it is steady and not a mindless application of the rules. This is about morality. For many of us, when we set out, we learn about the precepts, yes? For those of you who haven't learned precepts, go learn. Okay? Okay. We learn about precepts. And for many of us, in our understanding of the precepts, it's very much structured. Must do this, must do that. Cannot do this, cannot do that. All very structured. The day that you begin to understand Dhamma, you begin to understand why the precepts are like this. You begin to understand... So now, you don't have to worry about the correct way of dealing with the precept. You're not asking about that. You are at a level where the precepts is second nature. If you say, I don't want to hurt, I just don't want to hurt any being. When you say that, that's, your, that's a very high bar, not hurting beings. You don't even scold. You don't even say things that hurt. Deliberately. Because sometimes people are very sensitive. La. So you don't <laughs> deliberately hurt people. okay? And, and why are you doing that? Because you don't want to hurt. You just don't want to do it. Has it got to do anything, anything to do with the precepts? No. Precepts are not there. So when you begin to understand the Dharma more and more, you're giving purer. Your restraints purer. Very high bar you will go for. Okay. yeah, why do I always one step ahead, one? <laughs> you know la, I explain already. <laughs> Last one. What? Ultimately, uh, ultimately. You know for yourself whether the path is a series of steps or a way of life. What's the difference? Series of steps is you try, you see, you note, you adjust. Every baby steps you take, you ask yourself, correct or not, correct or not. A way of like just, you, the dhamma is internalized. You don't go around asking, correct or not. Can I say like this, correct or not. <laughs> Who's going to answer you? Who can answer you? Because the fellow is as blurred as you are. Ma. <laughs> okay. Okay, finally, last part. Sangha. Why wait until now then talk about Sangha? You look at the traditional way in which we we pay our respect to Sangha. eh? The order of the blessed one is practicing well. Su patipa no. Is of upright conduct. Has entered the right path. Is practicing correctly. The traditional way in which we say I pay my respect to the Sangha. Who are the Sangha members? They are the practitioners, number one. Practitioners who are practicing correctly and minimally has seen, entered the right path. Practicing correctly because they understood correctly and they have entered the right path. Buddha said, the four pairs of persons, the eight kinds of individuals. Buddha's original definition was therefore the Arya Sangha. Okay, huh? When you okay, you bring it down. Eh? Otherwise, I'll just wait for you. <laughs> so you're the reason why everyone is waiting, okay? So what was the Buddha's definition? Practice. On practice, on conduct, on wisdom. They are committed, dedicated, focused, determined practitioner. Well practice. Correct practice, as in practice according to the Eightfold Path, meaning the factors of enlightenment. Okay, They are good people honest and morally upright. Entered the right path, they know the way they have the knowledge and the intuitive wisdom, they know what's right, wrong practice. They realize Nibbāna at various stages. Okay, That was the Buddha's definition of what's the Sangha. And why is this important? Because It's these individuals who are a source of inspiration for others. They are the living proof that the path works. The method delivers results. It will lead one to a state of mind where it doesn't have, the mind doesn't experience dukkha anymore. So that's one, proof that the method works. Number two, can you teach if you don't know what you're teaching? Can or not? Those of you who are teachers, professional trainers, professional teachers, can you teach if you don't know what you're teaching? These guys, these Sangha members, they are vital for keeping the Dharma alive because only they know how it's done. And therefore, they can help, can only help, uh, help guide another For the rest of us, we just try our best. And we get it, we'll do our part to preserve the Dhamma, okay? And that's it.